0: Welcome to the Temple University Press podcast, where you can hear about all the books you'll want to read next. My name is Gary Kramer, and I'm the publicity manager at Temple University Press. For this podcast, we're gonna chat with David Steele about his new book, It Was Always a Choice. Steele, who co-authored Silent Gesture, Tommy Smith's memoir about his protest at the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, again examines athlete activism for racial and social justice On the field and off with me today is temple university press podcaster sam cohn who will interview david about his book when colin kaepernick took a knee he renewed a long tradition of athlete activists speaking out against racism injustice and oppression like Colin Kaepernick, Jackie Robinson, Paul Robeson, Muhammad Ali, Bill Russell, Tommy Smith, and John Carlos, among others of all races, male and female, pro and amateur, all made the choice to take a side to command public awareness and attention rather than to shut up and play, as O.J. Simpson, Michael Jordan, and Tiger Woods did in the years between Kaepernick and his predecessors. Using their celebrity to demand change, these activists inspired fans, but faced great personal and professional risks in doing so. It Was Always a Choice shows how the new era of activism Kaepernick inaugurated builds on these decisive moments toward a bold and effective new frontier of possibilities. David Steele identifies the resonances and antecedents throughout the 20th century of the choices that would later be faced by athletes in the post-Kaepernick era, including the era of political organizing, following the death of George Floyd. He shows which athletes chose silence instead of action, quote, dropping the baton, as it were, in the movement to end racial inequities and violence against black Americans. The examples of courageous athletes multiply, as LeBron James, Megan Rapinoe, and the athlete activists of the NBA, WNBA, and NFL remain committed to fighting daily and vibrantly for social change. It Was Always a Choice is available through the Temple University Press website, and listeners can get 30% off with the code T30P at checkout. The book is also available online at Amazon and barnesandnoble.com, as well as your favorite bookstore. David, welcome to the Temple University Press Podcast. It Was Always a Choice opens with an anecdote about Paul Robeson's 1937 speech against fascism, racial and ethnic oppression, and tyranny, which gives your book its title, you use his commitment to speak out as kind of a benchmark to measure others in the book. How do you think things have improved or not in the nearly hundred years since Robeson's speech? You cite an example that a 78-year-old Bill Russell saw NBA players walking out of an exhibition game as he did in 1961.
1: I think that seeing examples like that all the way in the, you know, well into the second decade and I guess technically the third decade of the, uh, of the 21st century, uh, besides the obvious reminder that in so many cases, uh, everybody's fighting the same problems. Um, every, you know, everybody recognizes that they need to take advantage of who they are and who sees them and how many people see them and the sort of power of their platform to, uh, to, to, to make change. And I, I don't know necessarily if all the current athletes recognize who Paul Robeson was. It's great to know that so many of them do recognize who Bill Russell was and who Muhammad Ali was and who a lot of those uh, athletes, Tommy Smith and John Carlos. You know they do understand them, they understand them and their sacrifice and everything that they did. But I, I think it's kind of fascinating that uh, the the that the the foundation and the blueprint was were, were drawn up by somebody like Paul Robeson who. Probably in his time relative to when he was a, 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 a national figure, you know, was maybe bigger than all those other athletes and maybe bigger than even a lot of the ones today. So the fact that he was able to step out on literally a world stage, I mean, he was talking about uh, the, uh, uh, the, the creep of fascism across uh, Europe and uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the steps that were moving toward a uh, second world war. That he, was, that he was willing to do that and he was also willing to call out all the other people who are in, in his position uh, celebrities in a large part but also athletes and say this is your opportunity this is your choice uh, make that choice uh, and, and do what I'm doing you know walk the path that I'm walking you know you're there you have the platform that so many other people do not have um, go ahead and take advantage of it Uh, And you've seen athletes in so many other situations in all the years since then uh, sort of take that up, even if they don't know who was the one who actually
0: uh, laid that foundation in place. It was always a choice flashes forward to 2021 in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder and Colin Kaepernick's kneeling during the national anthem as his taking a principled stand for social change. But while it raised the point that became a lightning rod, it also cost him his career. You write about him being blackballed. Other players like Craig Hodges and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf were as well for similar actions. What observations do you have about such, a, about such game-changing protests?
1: Yeah. It- it's clearly a, a, a difficult thing. I mean, I know I really go off on the theme of choice over and over and over again in the title and in all of the themes throughout the, uh, the book. But for so many of these athletes uh, who have paid such a high price just to get into those positions, you know, it's obviously no small thing to become an elite athlete and to ascend the, 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 the heights that they are. I mean, they are really, truly the 1%. When we talk about the 1%, Mm -hmm. these are the ones who really represent that. And they're the highest of the highest achievers. And they're in a field that, again, has so much visibility. And it obviously brings them a lot of riches as well. You know, uh, even on top of the attention, uh, you know, they're they're, they're in a position where they're set for life, their kids are set for life, several generations of their their families could be set for life just based on them succeeding at that level. And by speaking out like that, they know because of what they're seeing right in front of them and because of what they know of their history, that it could all be taken away and shut down completely. And so many of them end up choosing to do that anyway. So Colin Kaepernick's life will never be the same uh, after this. I mean, he was on his way to, you know, uh, his his ceiling was was almost unlimited as a football player. He'd already been to the Super Bowl and had you know broken records and done all these great things. Um, you mentioned Craig Hodges; he had won championships with the Bulls. You know he had a skill that could be that could carry on for years and years and years. We've seen how long great shooters have lasted in the NBA. He could have won more championships and again made more money and made and signed bigger and bigger contracts and just become an icon. Uh, Mahmoud Ra- Ra- Abdul Rauf; he was very young when he made the decision that ended up essentially costing in his career. Um, and he was on the rise as well. Uh, you know, when they choose to do that, uh, you know, they sometimes don't realize exactly how harsh the penalties could be until they start suffering them. But they have an idea that what they're giving up is going to be something really enormous. And yet they still make the decision to go ahead and do it anyway because you know, what they're fighting for is so much bigger than strictly themselves and their fame and their wealth and their platform.
0: Do you think it makes a difference that there is more impact if an athlete stages a protest on or off the field? And why do you think so?
1: They're, they're, they have chosen to be bold enough to do it when the most eyes are on them. Obviously, they believe that it's going to have the greatest impact and for, mm-hmm. for totally understandable reasons. Uh, They also know that that's going to create the biggest backlash possibly and have the greatest uh, repercussions and they could suffer the the harshest uh, consequences. But they also know as part of what they are as athletes, you know, they enjoy being on the stage. They enjoy being on being in the spotlight. I mean, if you take the example of uh, of Tommy Smith, I'll sort of talk about some of the others later. Um, This is the Olympics. And in, in that particular moment, it was an Olympic Games that was being broadcast live to the United States. For the first time, it was being shown in prime time. It wasn't, you know, Wide World of Sports on Saturday afternoon, uh, a highlights package, you know, uh, edited together uh, in, in a New York studio. This was live on camera, you know, uh, everything that people had known about the Olympics, they were witnessing in the moment. And they saw that race. They saw the drama of it, the excitement. They got to live it uh, and experience it. And it was going to be an indelible moment. And Tommy Smith the job Cloak sees that moment when it was the number one topic on the planet when it comes to sports. And a lot of other things because, again, it's the, the Olympics. People who don't even like sports watch the Olympics. So <laughs> they took advantage of that. And boom. And, that, and, and the, the moment became, uh, you know, immortal in, in that way. And, you know, fast forward to Colin Kaepernick. I don't think you have to explain to a modern audience, you know, here in the 2020s. And of course, he was in the 20 teens at the time. Um, How big the NFL is, you know, even if it's a preseason game, the fact that he chose to do it, you know, in the sport that has the most eyeballs, the most attention, generates the most conversation that the most people are drawn to. And again, you know, if if you take something like the Super Bowl, uh, you know, people who don't watch sports watch the Super Bowl. So there's always this connection that reaches out throughout the entire country when you talk about the NFL at this stage of, you know, the existence of this country and and, in this society. And he said, look, you know, and also, Hey, he's a quarterback. He's a starting quarterback in the national football league in a major market. Um, When he first started doing it, it wasn't something that he drew a lot of eyes to, you know, because he was just sort of sitting on the sidelines, but once he really understood the impact of what was of what he did, he chose to do it when the cameras were going to be on him. Uh, And clearly it was going to have a much, much bigger impact that way than if he was doing something behind the scenes or doing it in, you know, a lower key way, something that maybe, you know, in in a lot of people's eyes wouldn't rub people so much the wrong way. Um, I think that the impact of it has been proven. I think where we sort of frame the uh, book, uh, you know, in the the aftermath of George Floyd, uh, what happened in this country after that going all the way up through the actual verdict because the people who had been watching all of this and seen the condemnation that had rained down on Colin Kaepernick and athletes who supported him were essentially able to say, we told you so. He was right. This is what he warned you about. This is what he wanted you to avoid. You ignored him, and now you can't avoid it. Now look at what you're facing.
0: And he was sort of proven right. You unpack the social, racial and political factors that are tied up in protest, how teammates respond, how other athletes have or might have not responded, how the media and the public have responded. Is there a best or proper way for agitators or activists to get their messages across so they create the change they hope to make?
1: That's a, that's the big challenge. It's a lot of the resistance against athletes making these sort of statements and other celebrities uh, using their platform to make these kind of statements, you know they get a demand, well, what's that going to do? What's that going to change? Um, you know, you're just an athlete. Why should anybody pay attention to you? These are things that, you know, the politicians and the leaders and the, 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 the authorities should be fixing. What it does is, is, it, is it starts the conversation. It draws attention to it. It makes sure that people can't hide from it. One of the things that, again, and, and this went on constantly throughout the years of Colin Kaepernick and the athletes were starting to uh, – uh, make, their, make their voices know, people complain that, oh no, sport is sports is my escape from reality. It's my escape from society uh, and all its ills and its problems. I want to forget about those. I want to ignore those. I just want to enjoy the game. It's a reminder to everybody that, yeah, there are people who play this game. There are people who are parts of the communities and societies that are damaged and wounded and their lives snatched from them uh, through the things that we are protesting against. You know, you can't run away from that because you're watching human beings. You're watching humanity in real life play out right in front of you. It's not a TV show. It's not something that's scripted. These are our lives. You know, if you, you, if you shut the TV off, these things are not gonna go away. If you say, I'll never watch football again, or I'll never support the women's soccer team or the WNBA again, these things are going to continue to go on and they'll hit you in the face some other way. And at some other time, and you'll find out that, you know, the place you went to escape is still where everything is still alive and and, and breathing and, and, and fighting. So you can either run away from it or you can address it and take it to whatever the next level is. Take it to the people who can actually make change. Remind them that, look, everybody cares about this. People are talking about it. on the on the biggest stages with the biggest venues possible. Uh, And that's really what the athletes and and other celebrities like the Paul Robeson's and people like that. That's the effect that they have on these on, on society as a whole. They're reminding people that no, we're not your You know, we're not your escape hatch. We're not your escape route. We are real life. So you're gonna have to start living it along with us.
0: Likewise, what are your thoughts on the responses to the protests you write about in It Was Always a Choice? There are folks who side for or against these activists. How can these acts of resistance ignite the conversation and hopefully improve things?
1: You know, that's a big, big, big challenge. I mean, if you just sort of take Colin Kaepernick, since it was so recent and it's so fresh in everybody's mind, people are still in so many ways reacting to it. When he first did it and people first began to realize and understand what he was doing, there were really very vibrant, very animated conversations going on on every conceivable platform from face-to-face, you know, with your friends, with your family, you know, with your loved ones, you know, whether you're in the same room with with your work colleagues, with people you run into everywhere, you know, it was, you know, it it was a conversation started It evoked some sort of response or reaction. Uh, And of course, as you know, right now, there are more platforms in, in which we could use, to fight these battles than you know, than there ever have been before, and there are more being added, you know, almost every day. So of course it was living online, it was living in social media, it was on TV, it was on radio, it was on podcasts. Uh, besides, you know, all the things that were going on face to face, and everybody was engaged in it. Uh, it was a real education, even if it was a, a lesson that a lot of people were resistant to learning. But they found out through all these protests in a lot of ways. The lives that a lot of people who have been suffering have been living—they really have been. They really were in a position where they were ignoring it. You know, the, all the videos uh, of, of police brutality—you uh, know—was suddenly visible to them because people made sure that they put them out. That this is what we've been talking about. They, they were being reminded of the stories that people had been telling for decades. You know, long before there even was TV or radio. You know, <laughs> you would tell people. You know, this is what happened in my neighborhood. This is what happened to my cousin. This is what happened when I was growing up, you know, and they would literally resolutely and, and, and consistently tell you they didn't believe you. You were making it up. You were being sensitive. You were, you were misinterpreting it. And now, one, you were seeing these things actually happen on, on you know, on video, on camera. Uh, but two, you were seeing the most prominent people, you know, in our society, talk about it out loud and validate what all those, what what everybody has been saying. And, you know, whether they wanted to accept it or not, whether they wanted to fight about it, whether they got defensive about it, that's where the conversation began. And once it starts, you know, it could go pretty much anywhere, including in the direction of the people who can actually make change. Even if the change in a lot of ways is not really visible yet, but at least people are aware of it. They can no longer say, we didn't know we didn't believe you we thought it really didn't exist
0: i appreciated your inclusion of rose robinson who was used as a political pawn in 1959 and her refusal to stand when the national anthem was played you also spotlight the national women's soccer leagues megan rapinoe a white athlete who took a knee and sent a message in part because she was a top player whose privilege enabled her to protest her black teammates felt they did not have that same protection how does gender as well as race factor into the, into athlete activism?
1: This has been a, a, a really fun and kind of <laughs> exhilarating revelation in a lot of ways. Uh, one, to see where the, where women's place is. This is both, including both black women athletes. And obviously, as you mentioned, white women athletes, you know, like Megan Rapino and some of her uh, uh, teammates, um, because, you know, and I tried to touch on a little bit, and there's probably even a much, much larger story to be told uh, historically about how women have really been shut out of that whole discussion on a broad society, society-wide basis, particularly in sports. And, of course, it traces the history of women in sports in this country where they've been so marginalized in so many ways that only a, few, a handful of them have, have been shut out. Uh, in the case of Rose Robinson, she had really been kind of lost to history and I, I, I certainly, I'm, I'm not the one to take credit for giving her more visibility because I found out about her through other sources uh, like Amina Rose Davis, uh, the professor at Ten State who really brought her back to life um, by writing about her and doing podcasts about her and, and doing radio shows about her. Um, but sort of showing that this is what she was doing at a time that was even more volatile for black for black athletes, for women athletes, than even there are today. She was doing this in the late 1950s, mm-hmm. doing it the, sort of the, on, the, on the dawn of the civil rights movement, even when a lot of black athletes weren't making these, black male athletes weren't making these kind of steps. She refused to stand for the national anthem with the rest of her US uh, teammates at the Pan American games in Chicago, on American soil. I mean, this was so bold for her time. You know, it preceded, obviously, even Tommy Smith and John Carlos. You know, it was almost a decade later before they uh, before they did it. Um, She was in position to, again, take the worldwide stage with the 1960 Olympic team. That's the one that produced Wilma Rudolph and the Tennessee State Tiger Bells. It introduced Cassius Clay, later became Muhammad Ali, to the world. Um, It was another one of those sort of uh, uh, milestone, groundbreaking Olympic games. And she was on her way to doing it strictly on her athletic prowess. And she said, I'm going to take advantage of this, even if I risk that spot on the Olympic team. And it did risk, it, it; did end up costing her a spot on the Olympic team. And it really kind of cost her her athletic career and her athletic stardom. And she really did kind of become a martyr for the movement because she she chose that path to continue to resist. Over and over and over again till so she really kind of became a pariah in the sport and she really and in a way uh, an, an enemy to the US government, you know, which had tried to use her as an asset uh, going forward. And she said, I refuse to do that.
0: And you devote an entire chapter to the WNBA and the efforts of Maya Moore, Natasha Cloud, and Renee Montgomery to foment change. And they did. Can you talk about their actions, which were arguably the most successful ones detailed in the book?
1: You know, it's really interesting. They were the most successful ones and they were also the boldest ones. And I think that's a lesson that a lot of people could learn from that because I think that even the ones who are the most courageous, relatively speaking, they really kind of took baby steps in, in, in a lot of cases. You know, they were not willing to challenge everybody as broadly and as boldly and upfront and in your face as the WNBA players did. And believe you that, you know, I, 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 I really wanted to emphasize them, wanted to give them a prominent place in the book. And even as I did, I had to wish that I could even tell an even bigger story about them, and this probably is a bigger book and a bigger story to tell about them later, because you really want to delve into how they chose to do it and, and why, and why them. Uh, I mean, I think part of it may be because they felt like they had the least to lose because their WNBA is such a marginalized sport in this country and it's started to take off in the last few years, but certainly at the time that they really decided to put themselves out there, you know, there, there's a, a terrible, terrible resistance to just their very presence uh, in, the, in the sports landscape that they have to fight so hard for respect for their skill and for their entertainment value. And yet what they did, you know, uh, was so risky. Uh, and so beyond what everybody else did, I mean, literally saying, you know, uh, we will, you know, we, we, you know, we will be the ones who are going to be protesting during the national anthem. We are going to wear these shirts. We are going to challenge, uh, our own, you know, our, our, our own league president, our own commissioner, our own team owners and tell them, you know, we're moving with this. Either you're going to follow along with us or you're, you're going to have to, uh, Face the consequences, and that, in a lot of cases, what it was, they, they shamed a lot of people into uh into making change. So they ended up setting up uh, you know voting campaigns. They expanded voting campaigns in the cities where they were working. They led actual protest marches in which they had the male athletes sort of following their lead, joining them rather than them being the ones to join. You know, the bigger, more popular uh, sports. You know, they they confronted head to head. The owner of one of the teams who was a United States senator, Kelly Loeffler, Mm -hmm. because of her, you know, uh, MAGA, uh, you know, anti-Black Lives Matter uh, racist comments that she made, drove her out of the league. Eventually, her team was taken over by one of the protesting players and campaigned to get her out of office and to get her replaced by the current sitting senator in Georgia, Raphael Warnack. It was an an, an incredible achievement that to this day really doesn't even get enough recognition. I mean, you don't want to always say, well, if a man had done it X, Y, and Z. But honestly, if you can imagine a male lead tilting the balance of the United States Senate by their activism, you would never hear the end of it. They would be iconic instantly and forever. But that's exactly what the
0: WNBA players did. It was always a choice, lo- uh, also looks at numerous historical examples from Tommy Smith and John Carlos to Muhammad Ali to the Black 14, the 1965 boy- boycott by black players at the American Football League postseason All-Star Game, among other examples. What lessons did these men and women impart, and what do you think we've learned or can learn from them?
1: I, th- I think that's that, that's always going to be the, the, the question that are, people are always going to ask, because when you look at examples uh, like... The like like the one you gave, like the the Black 14 uh, out of the University of Wyoming and the AFL players at the uh, at at the All Star game. Um, You see that you know they were in the moment and they and they and they chose to uh, to put themselves out there and again risk real condemnation, possibly the end of their careers, to uh, go ahead and do this. And this you know it was it was almost like a domino effect. It was you know one athlete's and one group's bold move inspired others. You know, uh, it would, you know, the, the NBA players who chose to uh, uh, sit out a game because of the way they were being tra- treated in a particular uh, uh, place, like Elgin Baylor and Bill Russell and, 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 and those, le- uh, those level of players. You continue to see that and they would build on one to the other. So the kind of the ultimate culmination of uh, Tommy Smith, and John Carlos at the uh, uh, at the Olympics. I think that what is the most confusing for everybody is like, why did it stop? You know, Did everybody sort of reach a, a, a point mentally that, well, we've achieved, we've won, we've succeeded, we've, we, we've brought this attention to everybody, now we can just sort of reap the rewards of it? I mean, that's one explanation that has been given to why the ensuing decades were dominated by the players who ran away from that responsibility.
0: Several athletes in the book, O.J. Simpson, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, resist activism during their careers in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. These superstars fumbled the ball when they had a chance to make a difference, but chose not to. This wasn't just a risk of destroying a lucrative career rife with endorsements, it was a determined effort not to make waves or use their influence to move the needle. Do you think athletes have a responsibility to speak out and speak up? Jerry Rice, Michael Vick, and Dak Prescott all made some comments that generated blowback. Cam Newton tried tried to straddle the fence. Is there a benefit to being silent or at least not being tone deaf?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I, you can't always count on history being uh, a great judge. I mean, sometimes you can look back and say, hey, you know, uh, now we know that, that that athlete X, Y, or Z was not, as, was not that bold and not that courageous and was kind of used by the circumstances and never really took full advantage of what he did. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times you really have to act in the moment and you have to understand, <laughs> you know, what, what the impact is of what you're doing in the actual moment. Uh, a lot of the current athletes, when they were, when they sort of had the opportunity to say, hey, Kyle Kaepernick really kind of took a big hit for us, it's almost easier for us now to take a stand and stand behind him and give him the support and maybe really make change in ways that we know have to be made. And these are all people who, they, they've been through those kind of struggles. They've had those experiences that, that, that everybody has had that we all talk about. And yet they were confronted with either doing that or, you know, again, like, you know, suffering the consequences of, you know, that, that Colin, Ka- Colin Kaepernick did. So the athletes that we talked about, that Dak Prescotts and the Cam Newtons and people like that said, no, we're OK, we're fine. We don't want to, you know, uh, rub people the wrong way. We don't want to rock the boat. We want to sort of maintain what we have, continue on the path that we're on. It's become very lucrative for all of them. They, you know, the, a lot of the players we mentioned have signed enormous contracts. In the case of uh Michael Vick, he has remained in the spotlight in 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 a circumstance where again it would have risked you know his sort of redemption arc from what he had done as a player that had gotten him you know on the wrong side of everybody to becoming this established broadcaster, this face of the NFL. You know that was something that he didn't want to risk. Uh, Ray Lewis, kind of the same way, didn't want to make that, didn't want to risk that. Um, Jerry Rice was, you know, had an iconic status in league history, did not want to risk that, you know, ended up being somebody who was like visiting the White House and, and praising the president who was in the uh, in office at the time. Again, that status to him was more important. And that kind of reflects on what these, uh, the, the bigger athletes that we talked about, like OJ, like Michael Jordan and Mike, like Tiger Woods. That was the choice they made. It's like, you know, I, you know, look at what I've accomplished, you know, where I am, where I sit in a place where previously other black athletes had never stood. Why would I want to risk that by pushing back as hard as I could, as hard as I possibly could, and end up throwing that all away? It could be taken away so fast, and they chose not to. They chose not to, you know. They were probably the, the ones who could... Take the blow better than anybody else, not just at that time, but literally in the history of, of sport and the history of this society. Who was really going to take Michael Jordan down from where he was if he had decided to speak up in ways that he kind of did years into his retirement, where he sort of scratched the surface a little bit. But if he had spoken the way that LeBron James is speaking right now, where LeBron James is kind of doing the same thing that Michael Jordan is doing, you know, how you know, how much harm could that have possibly done to him? to his status and to his voice. His voice would have been even bigger.
0: And there's a chapter in it was always a choice about White House visits. You mentioned snubs and how athletes, uh, politics are asked to be sidelined to accommodate sports. One earlier passage in your book cites a letter written by an intolerant team co-owner who calls for, quote-unquote, less, not more politics in sports. But it seems as your book encourages that there is a groundswell of support for racial and social justice, and that's likely going to stop. Your thoughts?
1: Uh, you know, take politics out of sports is a, is, is a theme that's been pounded for a long, long time. Um, and it, it, even in the very face of the constant blending of politics and sports for, for as long as we can all remember, for all the stories that we've been told for, for decade after decade, I mean, one of the, you know, sort of foundational uh, sports uh, racial harmony Uh, everyone coming together and, and joining as one under one flag stories that we've all heard had been Jesse Owens. It was literally at the, at at the Olympic games, a meeting of nations. And it was literally in Germany in front of Adolf Hitler. So, you know, Joe Lewis, the same thing, the fight against Max Schmeling, you know, just weighed down with, with political, you know, in imagery. Uh, it wasn't Joe Lewis winning the heavy winning the heavyweight title. It was America knocking out the Nazis, and you <laughs> know a victory for the red, white, and blue that everybody could get behind, you know, and and a black man overcoming his circumstances. Which of course the rest of America, are the ones who caused that circumstance, but that was an issue that a lot of people didn't really want to address. Um, but yeah, so it, it's sort of an uh, 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 it, you know, those are like the biggest examples of just the incongruity and the disingenuousness if that's a word, of <laughs> saying, you can't mix politics and sports. Politics has always been a part of sports. And as long as they are, again, human beings uh, participating in sports and, uh, and and doing it with the letters USA or another country on, on your chest, uh, like with Megan Rapino and the national women's soccer team at the World Cup uh, and Tommy Smith and John Carlos at the Olympics, politics are always going to be a part of it. They're all, Hey, they play the national anthem before football games. That's really kind of where this, where, Mm -hmm. where the core is. that's kind of central to this entire, uh, to this entire book. You know, a a man, man, an American citizen, you know, at an event in which the national anthem was played before a game between two football teams chose to make a statement about what's going on in this country. And people said, don't make this sport political. Um, So, you know, it really, in a, in a lot of cases, it really sort of tries to pull at the threads of that argument so it can unravel and people can begin to say, look, politics, in, you know, involves people, sports involves people. You can't escape one through the portal of another. You can't hide behind one to escape the the damages of another. Um, it, again, it's all real life lit up and being played out right in front of you. And you know, when you're bold enough to, to, to understand that and take advantage of it, uh,
0: you
1: know, that's when real change can happen.
0: David, you end the book with an anecdote about Noah Lyles and his running with a black glove as a sign of protest in 2021. What athletes currently inspire you?
1: That is a, that is a, that is a great, great question. It's interesting because you see the players who are coming up uh, behind these uh this really recent generation of athletes who sort of came to a to a social and political awakening either as Colin Kaepernick began to speak up or as LeBron James began to speak up or as the WNBA players began to speak up or who you know experienced everything that went on uh in the uh you know in in the aftermath of uh, uh of George Floyd so yeah so you do look at uh the athletes like uh like Noah Lyles and a lot. I think in a lot of cases, a lot of the uh, uh, up and coming uh, Olympic athletes, uh, the track and field athletes, uh, a lot of the ones that we've seen recently in the in the uh, in the world championships, you know, they are very aware. Gwen Berry, the shot putter, has uh, been very outspoken and she uh, was sanctioned for protesting during the, uh, during the Pan American Games. Uh, Sydney McLaughlin, who is probably the biggest, you know, up and coming star for the next Olympics. She has not been, uh, you know, she she's in the spotlight. She has not been shy about speaking. Uh, Simone Biles uh, really showed uh, the depth of her character uh, during the last Olympics when she went through what she did. And also the way that she spoke up for her fellow gymnasts who were being abused uh, throughout the, pro- the entire process coming along uh, toward the Olympic Games. Uh, by the team doctors and the way it was hidden by the uh, national org- organizing committees. Um, you know, that level of athlete on the world stage In in a lot of cases uh, is, are, are sort of making themselves visible. I think also, again, when we go back to the biggest sport team sport on our radar, the NFL, you know, as you see more black players and more white players who uh, stand with them uh and you see the evolution, and you see the resistance by the people who cannot pull themselves away from the traditions of of what they've seen before. That's where you start to see that sort of change. So you, so you start to see people like the Lamar Jacksons and and people like that who are you know standing up for themselves. The Kyle, Kyler Murray's who are even if it's something like playing time, contracts, uh, the conditions of playing uh, in preseason or. Uh, training camp and you know protecting their own safety and things like that you know uh you know uh, you know understanding their worth understanding their value and understanding their voice uh they're taking advantage of the situation because they know they they have seen you know as they've come along and come of age in sports you know what the effect can be and they know that you know their voices are going to be heard and they know that you know there are going to be some consequences but they believe that they can withstand them so I think those, that's the direction we're, uh, we're looking at.
0: Thank you very much, David. Uh, congratulations again on the book. It Was Always a Choice is available through Temple University Press's website and listeners can get 30% off with the code T30P at checkout. The book is also available online at Amazon and barnesandnoble.com as well as your, at your favorite bookstore.